Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome back to the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler talking about the world of money and investing and got, uh, there was a, a an article that uh, Chad, one of the guys in my office actually found, and I thought this was, this is worthy of just talking about because so often I see things and I go, you know, my frustration with the financial industry is so often that the level of education just isn't quite what I think it ought to be. But they have these things and I want you to just be aware of them where you'll go online and they say, hey, we have vetted all the financial planners in your area and we have found the best financial advisors and all you have to do is click here and and basically what happens is so often with any kind of advertising where you'll have and i've seen this everywhere where you'll have a number that you call and we have people that we've vetted we've gone through these people are endorsed by us we think they're great and everything you got to be really really super careful about that stuff because a lot of times it's just they've been paid a fee to give the lead to the advisor or to the company, whether it's sometimes it's mortgage companies, sometimes it's uh, you know insurance agents, uh, like health insurance or auto insurance agents or homeowners insurance agents. And you think, well, this person is, you know, really, they've, they've looked at them. And sometimes they have, you just gotta be really super careful. They may or may not really look that closely. They may be just more concerned about getting the fee for making the referral. So just be careful about that stuff. But this this article was written by a company that does this kind of thing. And uh, and they said, you know, you want another stream of income for retirement, they said. And they'll do these informational articles. They say, well, you might want to consider an annuity. Uh, you might want to purchase an annuity from an insurance company. So you're going to receive payments back at a later date. Before buying the annuity, it's important to know how much monthly income it might generate, the article says. For example, how much does a $300,000 annuity pay per month? And is it enough to live on in retirement? So you go, wow, this is okay. Yeah, $300,000. How much would that pay? If I had $300,000, how much money could I get? Well, they say, hey, here's the deal. It's a financial, an annuity is a financial arrangement with a the company. They're, they're going to give you payments. And what you got to look at is how much they're going to pay you. And they gave some numbers. They say, if you got $300,000, now, it, number one, it largely depends on when you purchase the annuity, which is absolutely true. You know, how, what age you are. You know, if you're much younger, they're going to have to pay that money to you for a long period of time. Let's say if you're 40 years old and you're getting an income, they're going to have to pay that for, could be another 45 years. I mean, depending on your life expectancy, might be another 45 years. They've got to spread that $300,000 out. Now, if you do just a straight annuity, a life annuity, they make those payments. And if you die, then that money is gone. You know, unless you do some kind of a contingent, like a 10-year certain or a 20-year certain. And in the article, they actually give the numbers for that. Now, anytime you do something where it's a 10-year certain, what that means is we're going to pay you out for life. We're going to pay out the income for life. But if you don't live, but let's say five years, we're going to do 10-year certain. We got to pay you for another five or your heirs for another five years. 
So 10 years will be the minimum amount of time that they pay. And then you might have 20 years certain sometimes. They'll have different types of contracts that have those certainties. And what that does is it helps the person get over the idea that I could live one year, I die, and then my $300,000 is gone. It helps people get over that. And I had that situation one time. I was actually working with a guy, and he was actually referring me. He said, hey, can you talk to my mom? And, and I said, well, I said, what's the deal? And she says she didn't have much money left and at all and I said well if something happens to her would it bother you the heirs number one if that money was gone and you didn't receive anything no I just want her to live in dignity I want to get as much income as she can and I said well this is what an annuity was designed for you give them a lump sum of money and they pay you out an income for the rest of your life now if you're 85 years old like his mom was it's life expectancy isn't huge, so therefore the payout would be very high. It might be 20% of the account value. Well, it wasn't quite that. It'd be, I think it was like 17% or something like that, as I recall. It's been a long time. Uh, because I don't, you know, I don't run in these situations where an annuity really works that well. And by the way, we don't ever do anything on commission, so you know, we don't, it's the incentive to sell something because commission doesn't exist. So it's very rare, but in this case, it was perfect. Well, if she was only 50 years old, the payout would have been way, way lower as a percentage of the account value. So I hope you get that, what, that, what I'm talking about there. So what happens here, he says, well, you know, let's say you're 43 and you buy this deferred annuity. And you put $300,000, your income is going to be $3,500. So somebody looking at that go, oh, yeah, wow, it's going to be $3,500 if I put $300,000 away at 43. Well, this is one of the, one of the reasons I, I tell people, if you look at this and go, well, I'll get to this in a second. But, I, but the point here is they're using it as an accumulation vehicle in this particular case. You put it at age 43, you're going to let it accumulate till you actually annuitize, which is the term that means I'm going to pay out money from this thing for the rest of my life. Hand it to the insurance company and have them pay me an income. Well, your income's $3,500 per month, if that's the case. Well, if you wait till you're 65 to do the $300,000, it's only $1,635. You go, oh, wait a minute. It makes more sense to put it in at 43, doesn't it? And that's sort of, it's not explicitly written in here, but you kind of come to the conclusion that that's what they're trying to tell you here. It would be a better deal for you to buy this thing at age 43 versus age 65. But what does that ignore? It ignores the time value of money. It ignores that the money could have been invested between the ages of 43 and 65, and you would have been dealing with a different number. You should put 300,000 at 43 versus 300,000 at 65. I mean, it almost assumes that you're basically sticking all the money into a mattress in your house, and then you know, you're gonna wait till 65 to go throw it in there. It's just a, it's a strangely written article. It really is. And then, you know, they're so, so number one, they're, they're forgetting that. Now, if you take into account, and this is what Chad was, you know, telling me, he says, hey, look, and this is the way I see it. And I said, you're dead on right. That's exactly the way to see it, which is what if you look at this, you say your payout doubled over a 22 year period, right? 
So if you use the rule of 72, which is this kind of little neat trick, you take 72 divided by your interest rate, it tells you how long it's going to take to double your money. It's just algebra. You can go and, and play around with the numbers and go 72 divided by x equals 22. You can do it the other way around and, and come up with a number. And what you'll be coming up with, what you'll solve for, so to speak, is your interest rate. Well, that interest rate is just over 3%. You look at that and go, well, that's terrible. I mean, what's inflation? 5 6%? You know, now they come down, it's come down to 4 It's come down to 4 right? That was the most recent data that they came out in the CPI. But 3% is, is basically less than in the inflation rate, right? No, I think the new, the new rate may have been, was it three? May have been three that they came out with the new inflation rate now that I think about it. Because it was 1%, yeah, it was 1% above the two target. So basically the rate of return on this thing is the inflation rate. So what's your growth rate? Zero after inflation. So if you took the 300,000 and said, well, what if I just achieved a 7% rate of return? You know, the worst 30 year period in all of history for the S&P 500, the very worst 30-year period was at like 8%. And that's including the depression. You know, so you look at that and go, well, what if you just, and that's what he's using. He says, now you end up with 1.3 million in this particular case. And if you use the 4% rule, that was, you know, the, um, the rule that says, hey, let's, and basically what happened, Bengen, Bill Bengen, the researcher, went back to the year 1900 and said, if I had a 30-year retirement, 30 years, that's how long I was going to be around. So 65, I go to 95. And, and you know, let's say I had everything in, he used three asset classes, S&P 500, long-term bonds, and cash, those three asset categories. And what was the amount of income that I could take? He came up with 4%, and you could increase it for inflation each year. That was the worst case scenario. Then actually what he did is he redid the study and he said, well, what if I diversify just a little bit more and I throw small U.S. stocks in, in there? So a little bit higher return. And, you know, this is something, if you ever want to do the research on this, it's, it's out there, Bill Bengen's research on income. But uh, in essence, that's, where, that's why you often hear 4% is because of that. That's where that number comes from is Bill Bengen's research on taking an income. And then what happened is he said, well, you, you could take an, that would equate to about $4,400 per month income with an inflation protection versus the $3,500. That, and that was the higher of the two numbers, the $3,500. That was the age 43 number. And you look at that and go, wow, it's, and I, I don't, you know, if you look at that Bengen number, you're not running the portfolio down except in the absolute worst case scenario of all time, you know, th that was where you actually were able to maintain the principal and then the annuity, you lose it, right? So those are two very, very different things. But the point that, that Chad was making here was that they're comparing apples to oranges with a deferred annuity versus an immediate annuity because the deferred annuity, what you're doing is you're putting the money in and you're using it as an accumulation vehicle. And this is something that I've heard people say, you know, Paul, I heard you're always against annuities. And I say, no, I am not always against them. I'm against 
I don't like using them in most cases. Many cases, I don't like using them as an accumulation vehicle. Because as an accumulation vehicle, quite often they're not so great. Now, there are some variable annuities that I might make a case for. Variable annuity is where you have separate accounts. They act like mutual funds. So it's very much like any other type of an investment, like non-qualified investment or, or 401k type of investments where you have separate accounts, mutual funds, you know, they're, they're, they're very, very similar. But when I use them, I prefer no load, no commission annuities. And some of those things you might get by, there are some products out there, it might be 0.25% mortality and expense charges, the insurance company charges. And uh, you know, some of our products, actually the mortality and expense charges go away completely in 10 years. That is as opposed to what you typically see advertised out there which are the products that basically, you know, you'll see a lot of the indexed annuities and a lot of the expenses are hidden. Uh, some of the variable annuities, they don't necessarily hide the expenses, but what they do is they have very high mortality and expense charges that you have to look for. And it's not unusual to see 1 1.2, 1 1.4, 1.6%, 1.8% per year additional charges on top of the mutual fund expenses. And you look at that and go, wow, that's a lot of expense. And it can really drag down the performance if you have that much additional expense in your product. So, but, you know, if, if I were ever to make a case for an, an annuity as an accumulation vehicle, I would be more inclined to recommend a variable annuity with a no-load type of a, a scenario where you don't have much in that expense in the insurance company expense in the product. You know, so that's, um, anyway, so, you know, if I look at these types of things, you know, these articles talking about, you know, annuities as accumulation vehicles, and then you go in and you look at, at the fine print here. And so I was, you know, consider talking to the financial advisor about the pros and cons of the annuity. Well, you know, quite frankly, when I sold annuities, or, you know, any of us that work here, we all came from that. Well, not everybody, not everybody that I think about it, but a lot of us came from that atmosphere where we sold annuities or were driven to sell them. I was a lousy salesperson. I couldn't recommend them. But what happens is that you're going to be a lot more pro on something when you get paid a lot for it. So be very careful as to whether you're getting advice from somebody that that stands to benefit from your purchase of the product, number one. Number two, uh, it says, when comparing annuity products, pay close attention to the fees that you might pay. Annuities can carry numerous charges. I agree with this. This is, this is a good disclosure, including surrender fees if you decide that it's not right for you after all. Well, the problem that you run into is a lot of times you can get in all day long, but getting out can be really tough. Then the next disclosure they put here is choosing an annuity company with a strong credit rating reduces the likelihood that the company will go bankrupt and be unable to make annuity payments. Yes, maybe. Because you may look at a company at the time you purchased the product. There were some really great companies, highly rated companies in the past. I won't name names, but they were very, very highly rated. And then all of a sudden what happened, their investment portfolios went to heck in a handbasket and they lost their rating. But people already bought the product when their credit rating was good. So you can't necessarily count on that. So be 
eyes wide open with this stuff. This is why I think education is so stinking important for investors because the less you know, the more you may fall for something you regret later. Hey guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, schedule a free 15 minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions. So this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. Okay. It is an anniversary. It's, um, what anniversary is it? Good grief. It is. It is the 30-year anniversary. Fama French, multi-factor model, in academia. Now, you often talk, hear me talking about how I like to approach investing from an academic approach. Just bear with me for a second, and let me explain why this is so important. Remember sitting in a classroom and Fama talking about Gene Fama, the guy that won the Nobel Prize in 2013, talking about why this is important. You know, multi-factor investing and using factors to choose investment vehicles for a portfolio. Now he would talk about you got small companies, you got large companies, you got value companies, you got growth companies, you got stocks versus bonds. And I always tell people the first thing that I will typically focus on is how much in stocks versus bonds. And putting the portfolio together, I'm not going to be so inclined to hold a much in fixed income for a younger person because their biggest risk is inflation for their retirement portfolio. The dollar goes down in purchasing power. Historically, treasury bills, for example, the rate of return after inflation from 1926 until today, it's down to 0.3. That's what it is, 0.3 after inflation. And you look at that and go, wow, well, basically what you end up with is what you put in after inflation. Pretty much, pretty close. So, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, stocks versus bonds. Now, typically you're going to be holding more in equities or stocks when you're younger, and then you'll back off as you get older. And what you back off to will depend on a lot of different factors, how much income you're going to take, uh, what percentage of the portfolio, how long before you're going to deplete it, those types of things. And, you know, what you'll do is start to add fixed income in that particular case and have what we call a glide path to doing that. Now, what happened was Fama was talking about this, how much in stocks versus how much in bonds. But he also went into how much in large companies versus small companies, stating that small companies historically around the world in different countries, even different uh, locations, had historically a higher return than large companies in the vast majority of periods of time. 83% of 20-year periods, small companies outperform large companies in the research. 96% uh, of the time, value companies outperform the growth companies in the research. So he said, this is what is so exciting about this research. He said, he stated 95% of the level of returns of the portfolio are driven by these three factors. That's how important this decision is. 
But then, you know, it's like, well, 95. And I remember him saying distinctly, well, that leads science another 5% is what he, what he said one day in class. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And who's going to come up with the other five? Well, Novi Marks, uh, Robert Novi Marks was the guy that was actually did some research out of the University of Rochester. And this was, it's now the 10 year anniversary for this research. And this is something that I remember talking to an accountant about this one day and going, why is it that you have some companies that are value companies uh, or, or growth companies sitting in a value portfolio because of the way they do the accounting? And the accountant who was this, uh, he, he was an academic, you know, an investment academic. He was an accountant in a previous life. And he said to me, uh, Dan Wheeler was the guy's name. And he said, you know, that's probably an area of research you, you've got, you ought to be paying attention to, Paul, because some work's been, been being done on that. And this was in 2000, I want to tell you, it was 2007, 2008. And he said, some work is being done on this particular area, in fact. And it was Novi Marks that actually did this. And it was all on profitability. So happy anniversary, Robert Novi Marks, for... Maybe not getting the whole 5% of what was missing, but it was a big piece and it helps make the value portfolios just a little bit more value, which is important. But more importantly, we can use this academic research as it, for investors because it is so, so important in getting the retirement thing right. Not relying on investment information from salespeople, but academic research. That's where we stand here. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.